Hey, what's up? You guys are listening to the Are You Listening podcast, season two, episode four. Let's get it. Welcome to another episode of the Are You Listening podcast. Uh, Gio and Aaron, happy new year to you both. We got a lot of really good things to catch up on and excited to have you join us uh, today for this episode. We got Aaron Brightman uh, on the pod with us. First and foremost, just go around the room. Gio, Aaron, how are you both doing? I'm good, man. I mean, we, we're coming off a win right now. I think a, a much needed win for Rutgers. So, you know, everything's good in that realm. And then personally, man, can't really complain. New Year's was good. Um, you know, I'm having a good time. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. And uh, obviously in the thick of it in the Big Ten play. And uh, happy to see Rutgers play the way they did the other night and hoping they can uh, build on it here. Not that the schedule gets any easier, though, for sure. Yeah, couldn't agree more. It's been a roller coaster ride. Uh, to say the least, up and down. Um, and you see glimpses of hope and a lot of opportunity left for the Scarlet Knights on their docket for them to be able to get some big wins potentially as we start to get closer to the Big Ten Tournament Conference up and coming. Um, but Aaron, really excited to have you on. I would say a guy that has a pulse on what's going on with all things are you. So ahead of jumping into the team and what they've been up to this year, just a little bit about your backstory um, if you wanted to tell, you know, the listeners for this podcast about how you became to become so passionate about Rutgers athletics, what is there to know? Yeah, so uh, I actually moved to New Jersey because my father got a job with Rutgers back uh, back in the 80s. So I've been going to Rutgers games since I was literally six years old, uh, dating myself here. But that was in the uh, uh, 1983, 84. So, um, yeah, a, a lifelong fan, obviously, and then went. Uh, to Rutgers as a student in the late 90s. I graduated in 2000. So uh, I've been to plenty of games over the years, uh, you know, at the rack specifically. It was at the 89 game uh, when they beat Penn State to make the NCAA tournament. I've uh, been at plenty, plenty of uh, exciting games there. And obviously the Garden, the Big East tournament, was fun going to every year. So a lot of memories, uh, obviously with football as well, even men's soccer back in the day. They were, you know, powerhouse. Uh, a couple guys on the national team, Alexi Lalas and Used to go see them as a kid, too. So uh, a lot of great memories at Rutgers and, and obviously my family connections there with my father working there so long. So uh, it's kind of in my blood and uh, it was just kind of a natural thing. You know, when um, uh, fan sites kind of became a thing and SB Nation had an opening, I kind of jumped at it and kind of took off in a way I never expected it to. I wasn't even on Twitter at the time. This is 2015. And uh yeah, just, uh, you know, it was really fun to, to have that opportunity and have that perspective to be able to share and kind of, you know, join in with Rutgers fans. And I've always looked at it that way that I'm, you know, I'm a fan like everybody else. And to be able to uh, converse with fans in this way uh, has been uh, really unique and, and special. And um, now it's kind of transitioned to my own thing where I have my own podcast. And um, it's 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 really fun to continue to do that. And, obviously spoken to both of you guys over the years and it's uh it's great to to be here to talk to you guys but just in terms of having uh the experiences that i've had along the way it's, it's uh i wouldn't trade it for the world uh, what is what has that transition been like uh going from a writer to a podcast uh you know it kind of was uh, it was an evolution over time i never 
thought I'd be comfortable doing it. Um, but when I was out on the banks, I, I wanted to start a podcast and I actually uh, sought someone out that had that experience. Lance Glenn, he kind of ran it for a few years and he ended up leaving and he, he worked, he was a producer for 24 seven sports uh, college football podcasting. So when he left, I kind of was like, well, let me just try it out and see how it goes. And it turned out to be kind of a great starting point for me. And then once I left and uh, started my own site, Scarlet Faithful. I was like, well, I have to have a podcast as part of it. And uh, it's just evolved over time. I've gotten a lot more comfortable with it. And, uh, you know, I now do it daily. Uh, it kind of shoots from the hip sometimes in terms of what to cover. But uh, it's fun having guests on too. And it's it's now a way that, you know, as a writer, you know, it's it just I, I have another career. I have a family. I just didn't have the time to do it anymore. But a podcast is a way for me to yeah. hop on and kind of express myself and give my take on things in a way that's a lot more manageable. And, and honestly, it's become a lot more fun too. You mentioned that's really cool. balancing out two different acts of having a full-time career. I know you mentioned you worked for many years in the hospitality space and your cool backstory about uh, getting or cutting your teeth in that area at uh, Napolitano's uh, in New Brunswick, which is now Delta's. Um, how has that balancing act been for you? It's a labor of love to be able to come home at night when you have a family and other things to worry about and then put an extra effort, you know, to tap into this passion. Yeah, no, it's been great. Um, it's definitely been a balancing act. My wife is amazing. So she was very supportive for many years. Uh, it was hard for me to get down to games because I live in North Jersey. So I'm over an hour away from New Brunswick. Uh, but Rutgers just made it great for me too, in terms of just helping in terms of, you know, me getting access to, to uh, all the coaches and, and players when I want to have them on and just post game stuff. It's, you know, it, it, while I would love to be at games, it, I, I'm still able to uh, give my commentary watching games, you know, from afar. And uh, obviously you miss that, that vibe of being there and the, and the energy. Uh, and I've made it down a few times. I was at the Princeton game this year. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's, it's certainly a balancing act and, um, one that certainly it's a labor of love because, you know, I, I feel now it's like a responsibility because people reach out to me and they, they want to know, you know, uh, to help talk them off the ledge after a bad loss, or they, they want to, uh, be excited about a big win. So it's a lot of fun. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've learned how to manage it a little bit better and, and, uh, also, my job in the hospitality world, you know, it's I have a much better lifestyle, quality of life now. I was doing restaurants and bars when I was younger, and that was nights, weekends all the time. Now I work in a corporate facility, so Monday through Friday, a uh, lot more structure, uh, which helps as well to be able to do it all at the same time. Love it. Um, if you had, if you had to say one word to categorize where Rutgers basketball is at this juncture in the season, what would that word be? Evolving. I think that they're evolving. I think one thing people haven't really taken into account, they, you know, when I say things like this, sometimes I, I get, oh, it's an excuse, but they haven't had a full rotation healthy the entire season. Uh, and, you know, you can still yeah. count, like if Jeremiah Williams becomes eligible, but between Austin Williams, Mag, and even uh, Jermichael Davis to a degree, I mean, no one's, they haven't all been fully healthy. Someone's, multiple players have been on the injury report every game. So, I think that's a big part of it. I really do. And I think that also, and I actually wanted to get your guys' perspective on this because you were both leaders of the program when you were there. Um, you know, having veteran guys come in on a one-year, you know, plan, I'm sure that's got to be part of the gelling part that's been a little, dip, maybe harder than any of us kind of saw coming in in terms of them just learning how to play together. And I feel like that, you're starting to see signs that they're working that out. Um, but I, I think that that, 
for me, gives hope because I think that this team is still figuring things out. Pico's still figuring out the rotations that work together. I think you've seen Austin Williams obviously emerge now. Um, but I think that that's a big part of it. Everyone expected, you know, the overseas trip and this team's going to be ready from day one. And obviously Mag coming back and him working off the rust. I think it's just a process. And it's like you said, there's a lot of opportunities still on the schedule. And I think that uh, this team's best basketball is still ahead of them. I 100% agree. And I, I think um, people are going to be extremely surprised by Jeremiah Williams if he is able to return. I mean, he's – I think he's a starter. I think he's a starter when he comes back. Uh, he's hes that good. He, he, he has that type of Caleb McConnell energy to him on defense. I'm not going to say that he's the exact same type of defender, but he has that grittiness and toughness to him. And then uh, on the offensive side of things, he's a very good basketball player. And then talking about what you were just saying about the veterans, I think that's been the toughest part for this team is that the guys who I think show the most leadership qualities are the are the new guys. So, you know, a guy like Austin Williams, he made such a, a, a big impact in the game just due to his energy and and just his presence overall. But sometimes that's hard when you're a new guy coming in to to kind of lead in that way. Jeremiah, same thing. I think his presence and and his communication skills will be top notch for this team. But again, he's a new guy and he's not playing right now. So that's tough for him. And then Noah Fernandes is a, is a veteran point guard, but same type of deal. It's kind of hard to come in as a, as a point guard and just start calling the shots when, uh, when, when you're brand new to the team. So I think those three guys are the most primed to be leaders, but they're all new. So that, I think that's really tough for a team like this. I mean, obviously you have guys like Moa and, and Dre and Cliff who have been here, but, um, none of those guys are, are like extremely vocal in terms of in terms of leadership. You know, when we when we were when I was in school with them, that that wasn't really their role and, and they weren't expected to do that. So now you're asking these guys to kind of step into something that they're not used to. Um, and that's tough. That's tough for guys. So I, I agree, though. I think that they're definitely evolving. And, and, you know, we haven't even talked about Emmanuel either, who, who's also coming off of an injury, um, who's going to be another big body inside. Um I think this team's definitely evolving and they're, and they're moving in the right direction. Just got to stay the course and block out that outside noise. I know it's, it's never easy to do. Definitely not. Um, I love that, that term uh, evolving is uh, a good representation of a team that has a, a, a getting better agenda and they understand where they're not the greatest and what they need to tap into to keep themselves uh, in games. And to Jeremiah and the point that you made about what he could potentially be uh, for this group, a big guard, which is something yeah. that I think this team is really missing considering yeah. years past. The average height of that three guard rotation is what around six foot one, maybe six foot two. And Noah Fernandes, you know, brings that down on average pretty dramatically. And he's down there fighting and trying to attack the legs of opposing six foot 10, six foot 11 bigs. You mix in a guy that can go down there and be physical like Austin Williams has shown. And I think that that is a really another added value piece. Um, so really, really appreciate that. And just to recap of where we are uh, in the season since we last recorded, 15 games in, Rutgers is 9-6 and six overall, 1-3 in the conference. And I think there's a four-way or a five-way tie as of this moment in time. And again, a lot of games left, 16 games left in the Big Ten slate for Rutgers, seven of which are at home. But the last couple of games, again, they've been up and down since we last recorded Rutgers took a loss to Iowa, 86 to 77 on the road in Iowa City, but then was able to bounce back 
66 to 57. Um, give your initial thoughts of the Iowa game, and then we'll transition over to, you know, what was able to transpire at Jersey Mike's Arena against Indiana. Aaron, over to you. Yeah, I think obviously, you know, one of 15 to start the Iowa game is pretty tough. I think it does go back to the whole gelling thing. I, I think that they're not fully confident and comfortable in, in what they do best offensively. I think they're still kind of figuring out that identity. And I think that that at times, you know, it seems like when they miss a lot of shots in a row, they kind of lose that intensity a little bit on defense. And I think it kind of snowballed on them. I was always been, I mean, as you guys know, always been a really tough matchup and I feel like they, they're really good with ball reversals and, and they make you really move a lot. And, uh, Rutgers just got, you know, uh, a little bit lost there, I think, in that first half. But I thought it was a great sign to see them battle back the way they did. Um, you know, and uh, that's one thing that, you know, this team hasn't quit. And I think they're really bought in in terms of what they're trying to do. They just haven't found the answers yet. And and I just – I keep going back to they're not going to be a top 100 shooting team, but they're not going to be a, a 350th shooting team either. And I think that, you know, once mm-hmm. things start to fall a little bit and they get a little rhythm – um, I, I really do think they could snowball in the positive direction. Um, but, uh, yeah, the Iowa game was obviously disappointing because they came off that really good second half against Ohio State. But, you know, in matchups and everything, it doesn't necessarily work that way. And uh, But it was great to see them respond at home against Indiana. And, uh, you know, again, shot really poorly but did a lot of other things well. I think the way they're rebounding now is encouraging because they. I think the last three games are plus 10 or 11 on the rebounding margin in all three. So that was obviously a big concern coming into the Big Tens. And, um, you know, step by step, I think they're, they're starting to do uh, things better. Um, and, you know, forcing turnovers again has been a big key for them. But uh, it's it's nice to know that you can count on, on, on Rutgers, even when things are bad, to, to beat Indiana the way they did. That was certainly satisfying. Gio. Definitely agree. Uh, Iowa's always been a team that, is able to put up a large clip when it comes to scoring, leading the Big Ten and scoring once again. What is it that they, that they do so well on a year-to-year basis that allows for them to get so many buckets? You know what? They just honestly play team basketball. I mean, I, I'm going back to when we used to play against Keegan Murray, and they didn't they didn't really run a play for him. Like, everything was kind of just in the flow of the offense. You know, he was rim running. Uh, they space very, very well, and – Team basketball. I mean, that that was the main thing with them. And then they surround they surround their bigs with shooters. Um, you know, so very skilled basketball team. They run a lot, um, get out in transition, and, and then just team basketball overall. And you got to make shots. I mean, that's the name of the game too. I mean, we're we're talking about Iowa right now, but with Rutgers, I mean, they're, they're getting a lot of open looks on some of their on some of their shots. They're just knocking not knocking them down. Yep. Iowa has been the opposite for years to come. Now, I mean, they're finding their shooters. They're moving the ball extremely well. Um, and then those guys are knocking shots down. Yeah, Iowa got off to a very hot start uh, to begin the game, 19-5 to five run. And are you started 1-15 one of, for that game. And as you had just alluded to, that's difficult for anybody to stay in any Big Ten contest when shots. There's a little on the rim. Um, and then Iowa made 11 shots uh, in the second half uh, to keep pace and hold the lead into double figures and big-time outputs by Peyton Sanford, game-high 24 points being – Cricky, 18 points. Owen Freeman, man. I don't know where they're cycling in these young bucks from, but uh, (laughs) fifth Big Ten Rookie of the Week honors for him after that Rutgers outcome. So um, they got things rolling. And then for Rutgers on the opposite side, you got Mawat Mag, who notched his first career double-double, 24 points, 10 rebounds. He had a dog look to him. His eyes, he was locked in completely. 
And Austin Williams, 14 points for RU and a strong performance that he was able to build off going into Indiana. Yeah, those two, I mean, the, I know we're talking Iowa, but just, just thinking about the Indiana game, those two really set the tone energy-wise, defensively, just making all the hustle plays. Um, I love the way Austin Williams is driving to the rim, you know, just with no fear. Um, and, and like with them, with them too, they're just playing with passion. I, 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 no, I was noticing too, the guys seem just so tense, which kind of leads to some of these missed shots. I think it's easy to tense up when you're, when you're losing games and you got people hovering over your shoulder talking about Rutgers can't shoot or we, we just lost another one or how are we, you know, how are we going to get out of this? Like, it's very easy to tense up when you're hearing all this outside noise. And, and Coach Pico talks about it all the time. And I think sometimes as outsiders, it's hard to understand. But um, he's preaching to them, like, do not pay attention to the noise outside because it really does make you think differently and shoot differently. And um, those guys just said, fuck it, we're going to have fun. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, we're just going to have fun. We're going to play with energy. And that's that's the type of plays and players that, that Rutgers is going to need right now to kind of get out of that shooting slump. Like I think now, now they beat Indiana and they got that one big 10 win. It's like the monkey's off your back. Like you're, you're going to relax a little bit. And now when Mawat gets open three or Andre gets open three or, or Gavin gets open shot, you're a little bit more relaxed because you just won the last game. Uh, so I think we'll, we'll definitely see a little uptick in shooting now and guys just having a little bit more fun. I think that started honestly with Austin, like Austin, basically took on that role of just like, no, fuck it. I'm going to play hard as shit and we're going to have fun out there. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's really what it was. I love what he brings to the team. And let's set this, set the scene a little bit ahead of that IU game. You got a, a state of emergency because of crazy inclement weather, a 7 PM tip on Peacock and nobody has a subscription. So you don't even know how you're going to watch the game and, and cheer for your Scarlet Knights. But more importantly, Rutgers was over in the Big Ten Conference and seeking its first win. And honestly, I guess if you need to get one, it's nice when you have a team from Indiana coming into Jersey Mike's Arena. And it hasn't been easy for the Hoosiers, especially as of late. They haven't won a game um, in Piscataway since 2018. Aaron, what were your expectations when you were starting to do your due diligence about Rutgers versus Indiana? Well, it was, yeah, like you said, I mean, it was no better opponent to come in uh, for them to play in the position they've been. Uh, and, you know, having those two road games was pretty tough. So to, to come back to the rack, and I was worried the weather was going to impact just not having the same crowd you normally would have. Um, and, you know, Indiana was coming off a real high of beating Ohio State, that comeback win at home. Uh, but, you know, I thought that Rutgers matched up well with Indiana. And uh, if they played defense the way they're capable of, I thought that, you know, the Rutgers is just, I think, a big uh, thread through the whole win streak against Indiana has been Rutgers just the tougher team. And um, I think they were very much yeah. so again on Tuesday night. And uh, that was that was just great to see because, uh, you know, win or lose, when we haven't seen maybe Rutgers be the team that wins the loose balls, gets, you know, gets all the rebounds, that's been a little uh, concerning, I'd say, based on past history, the way the program's been built. So to see that again against Indiana, that was a lot of fun. And uh, obviously to see, you know, Xavier Johnson meltdown was fun as well. So, but uh, yeah, I, I thought like Derek Simpson, I thought played really well because even though he shot poorly, I really liked the way he played. You know, I, he, he seems like maybe he is starting to feel like he needs to be that guy in terms of running the offense. And I thought he did that better, even though he missed some shots. Um, but yeah, Xavier Johnson, yeah. if you want to talk about that or whatever else, but uh, it's certainly Certainly a win they needed. Uh, I don't know if it was a must win, but, you know, you, you didn't want the, the losses to continue. So hopefully this resets things moving forward. 
Yeah, Xavier Johnson is a wild bull, man. And this is not the first instance. I'm going back to uh, games at Indiana and him and Paul Mulcahy getting tangled up. I think it's the game within the game for him. He's like Definitely. Patrick Beverly of college basketball with some of his antics yeah. on court. What do you see from him, Gio? Yeah, I mean, he's been like that. I mean, we I remember when he was playing for Pitt, like even in the scout, like, you know, Coach Knight is telling us, like, look, he's going to try to get under your skin. Like, that's what he does. Um, so I like that that comparison, like the Pat Beverly um, type of guy. But I always liked that. I, I was talking I was talking to fans on Twitter about it because they were asking, like, oh, like I'm sure players don't like him. I mean, it, it's it's kind of a little bit of both. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm not really going to. No, I'm not gonna want to hang out with the dude, but in terms of the game, like that always excited me because I'm because I, I I like that. Like if a guy is trying to get under my skin, like then it really feels like it's like really a battle out there. You know what I mean? Those are the, those are the fun games where um, it gets intense, and you know there might be a technical or two, and you know it could get chippy. But like those are those are the games that Rutgers especially usually loves. Like those are the type of games that we would find a way to win. Um, you know, so that. That was always cool to me, but the the play itself was was uh, definitely a boneheaded move by him. I mean, you're especially like with Indiana, they don't really have another point guard. Um, you know, they, they, when you start subbing in guys like Anthony Leal, it's not it's not looking good for right. the Indiana side. Uh, you know, so he, he's got to make sure to stay in that game. But obviously, a great thing for if you're on the Rutgers side, getting him out of there. Yeah, it was it was like the Twilight Zone pulling up to the stadium. I was sitting in traffic on the Brooklyn Queens Expressway for three hours and missed tip completely. So Jerry had to go through tips and keys to the game all by himself. And I get there halfway through and I'm like, Jerry, what oh, happened? <laughs> Catch me up on things. And he said, Rutgers coming out tough and battling on the boards and defensively they're locked in. And that's the DNA for this season. But obviously the pillars that Steve Peichel likes to build on for each and every one of his team. And for RU, they get the dub 66 to 57 holding the Hoosiers to 57 points, which is a Indiana University basketball season low. That's big time. And then plus 11 on the boards, 19 offensive rebounds, 51 rebounds, which is the most for Rutgers in any Big Ten regulation game. And one thing that really stood out that showed that this team was connected defensively and all over the place with great voice activity, 12 versus one in second chance points. But Shared the game, five double, five players in, in double figures. Cliff continues to do a really good job with another five-block game. Do you think that this is a style of play, and this is for you both, that Rutgers can continue to win games if they're not scoring over you know 70 points, um, if they continue to ride the heels of rebounding with a toughness and, and locking teams up and holding them to you know season lows? Yeah, I mean, I, I can start, Aaron. I mean, definitely. That's 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 been Pykele's brand for since he got here, you know. So that that's that's what Rutgers is known for. That's what Coach Pykele is known for: is defense, toughness, rebounding, grittiness, like that. That is Rutgers basketball, um, you know. And then if you can hit some shots too, it's it you're it's going to lead to wins. It's going to lead to success. So you don't need to score seventy points to win games in the Big Ten, um, you know. My teams in the past, Coach Michael's teams in the past have proven that already. Um, you know, so these guys need to realize that. I think I think part of part of it too is there are there are a lot of new faces on the team and and new leaders on the team. And and at a certain point you have to realize that you can control what you can control. Control the controllables, which is defense, rebounding, 
intensity, energy, like all of those things are non-negotiables because you can do it right every single time. It has nothing to do with skill. Whereas shooting, it, it, it's part of basketball. Basketball is an imperfect game. You're going to miss shots. That's that's how, that's how it goes. But there's other ways to win without making those shots. And if these guys can do that consistently, you're going to you're going to see more wins. It's just the reality of it. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, the whole, you know, speed limit with Paykel, 65 and under. And uh, I think part of that, too, is just not having mag in the beginning. I think, you know, Rutgers couldn't necessarily even play that kind of style, even if they wanted to in the beginning, because I think he just brings so much in terms of being able to play that mm-hmm. way. And I think Austin Williams now, too. They're both physical. They both have size. Uh, and they both, I think they they seem like they enjoy it, you know, in terms of they, they, they love playing yeah. defense and, and uh, you know, just Austin on that offensive rebound, the way he, you know, uh, his just physically the way he jumped to the ball and he was so strong with it. Like you could tell that he enjoys it. So I think that, yeah, the, the nitty gritty for this team, they needed those guys as part of that. And now they're going to get some consistency with both of them now in the starting lineup. I think that's going to go a long way and yeah, getting the younger guys. I think part of it too is physically like, you know, Gavin and Jermichael, they're really talented, but they're also freshmen physically. So I think that was part of it. They're yeah. playing bigger minutes early on. And, um, you know, now that you have Austin and, and Mag emerging, that's going to help too. So I think, yeah, the whole, I, I think it's a great point about a lot of the newcomers just learning kind of the way that, that things have worked in the past. And, uh, yeah, once those, if they can play defense even close to the way they played the other night and they hit some shots, they're, they're going to be able to be competitive against most, most teams, I would think. It's anybody, most definitely. Heard you. Understood. And I'm playing both sides, obviously bringing up um, some of the noise and, and what are, you know, maybe a cause for concern um, just to make sure that we're highlighting what the reality of uh, the, what the season has been. And it's been up and down from scoring within the field goal or the three point line, not at a high clip for this team. If they continue to turn over um, teams at this clip, they're going to continue to have scoring opportunities. But Layups and free throws in particular have been problematic at certain stints. What do you think is the cause for that at this juncture in the season for this team so far, Gio? Man, it's a couple of things. It could, it could go back to um, what I was saying earlier about these guys just being intense, man. I mean, we're talking about Division One high major basketball players. They're able to make layups. You know what I mean? Like this, this is starting to turn into sort of a mental thing for some of these guys, in my opinion. Um, and I'm not inside. I'm not I'm not at the practices. So this is just what it kind of looks like from the outside as a former player where I'm seeing the, some of these guys like body language, just how they're approaching the game sometimes where it doesn't seem like they're they're having fun. Like you got to try to remember that this is a game. This is basketball. This is game day is showtime. And, you know, that's where you kind of have to go show out and, and have a good time. And, and sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so and that's with the layups, with the threes, with everything. Um, then the other thing, too, is I feel like for some of these guys, for Gavin, especially who, who is a freshman and, he, and he's learning, um, the game just hasn't really slowed down to him yet. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he seems like he's rushing a lot of his shots. And, and he is someone who I saw a lot in the summer. We, we played pickup together. Me and him were playing one on one together. He's extremely talented. Like there's he's tough. There's no way there's no way, other way to put it. Like he's a very, very good basketball player. So when you see the way he's playing in the games, it really doesn't make a lot of sense except for the fact that he's just kind of rushing everything. Like his shot doesn't even really look the same as mm-hmm. it did in practice. He's not holding his follow through. He's dropping the hand really fast. And sometimes it looks like he doesn't even catch it before he, before he shoots it. You know, he's really, he's really not thinking about it. So I think that 
the more film he watches, the more he practices, the more Big Ten games that he plays in, it'll start to slow down for him. And then, you know, that shot will start to feel a little bit better. And, you know, that goes the same for, for J. Mike and for Noah, who's first time playing in high major basketball in the Big Ten. Uh, you know, all these new guys, even Derek, like we talk about Derek, like he's a veteran. He's a sophomore. Right. Like my sophomore year, I remember how hard it was, you know, when you go from, you know, maybe the second or third or, or whatever option you are to now you're supposed to be the guy coming in. I mean, that's a really tough position to put a sophomore in. It's it's a tough role in the Big Ten, especially when you're going up. You know, when I was a sophomore, there was no COVID year. There wasn't 24, 25 year old seniors. You know what I mean, like right now you're asking a sophomore in college who I don't think ever reclassed in high school. So we're talking about a young kid, really, to be playing against 23, 24 your old senior point guards um, and to be that guy and to be consistent every single night. Like that's a really tough spot to put them in, Um, you know, so that that's another part to this as well is that these guys, maybe they just don't have the experience yet. And there are going to be little bumps in the road where they got to learn to, Oh, I should lay it up here instead of back for a floater, or I should dump it off here instead of going up against a seven footer. You know what I mean? That's just little things that you kind of learn from experience instead of, um, not instead of, but you learn from experience that you, you're just not going to be able to learn anywhere else. Repetition. It is so right. essential in every aspect of life. And I love that uh, Gavin <clears throat> is continuing to show aggressiveness despite yep. not getting the outcomes um, that he is hoping to see each and every night. He has a shooter's mentality, and that is very, very evident. He doesn't care. He does. He doesn't care. He's going. He doesn't care. I love it. I wish. I wish. I was like. (laughs) He doesn't care. He does not. He doesn't hang his head. He's like, fuck it. I'm shooting it again. Like. (laughs) To your point, though, I I think if you are predictable and you're premeditating shots, it's not going to work at this level. So, getting in the film room, film room, sitting with the coaches will help him to get it in the flow of the offense, which are only going to uptick uh, his percentages and and pay dividends. But I also do love that. This team is so reliant on such young players. Jamichael Davis, he's had, what is it, uh, double figures in four of his last six games? Like, that's big time for any player with that type of assist-to-turnover ratio. He's showed a lot of poise. And when you look back at, you know, what they'll be in their sophomore and junior year, they're going to be a lot better because of what they're learning. They're taking their lumps and bumps and bruises right now in their freshman season. Absolutely. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, Davis, I mean, his assisted turnover ratio has been sick. I mean, o- over three to one is pretty incredible for as much as he's played. Uh, and even if you remember back the Princeton game, you know, his first game, he really, you know, he was obviously forcing things. And uh, he, he just, the way he has developed and learned so quickly is a, a really positive sign. I think just with the half court too, I, I think they're just forcing things a little bit. You know, they're, they're a lot, they have a lot of guards now that are good off the dribble. And I don't think that they're necessarily, you know, passing it enough. Uh, and, and kind of being patient enough. So I think that maybe that's part of it. But um, in terms of the free throws, you know, I actually think Rutgers is in a really good position if they can be close at the end of games because Derek, you know, is he like 85%? Andre has been really good, close to 80%. Noah's at 80%. So, and you saw against Indiana, if they got the ball to Noah and, uh, or excuse me, uh, Derek and Andre, they were pretty much automatic and closed out that game. So I think that's a huge advantage for them at the end of games. Obviously, you know, some of the big guys are struggling a little bit from the foul line, but, you know, I, I don't think it's as big of a problem as people say it is. I think it's just kind of the flow of the game. Uh, what I do think is when they, you know, the, you mentioned layups a little bit, they're struggling a little bit there, is if they could be a little bit better drawing contact and getting to the line. You know, if you can have those guards get to the line more during the regular part of the game, that will go a long way too, I think. 
Appreciate that. You asked me after Ohio State how I felt about the team in the season, I would have said cautiously, cautiously optimistic. You understanding that there's also a little bit of luck in scheduling when you put Ohio State and Iowa back to back. Anybody's going to be in a tough predicament. It doesn't matter how many points you score. You go into Iowa City, they're going to continue to put up buckets at a very high rate. So I didn't even dive too much too deep into the Iowa loss because I understood what they were coming off two game road trip, a really tall task for any for anyone. But after IU, I really like how this team is is trending. I think that we see what the DNA could be and what it would take for them to win. And I think that's a really good pivot into what's what's next for this group. Uh, going out to East Lansing, um, a place that Rutgers basketball has never won, but I think probably one of the ripest opportunities for them to change the course of history and get their first road win against uh, a Michigan State team that's been up and down in this season in their own right. A lot of high expectations coming into um, the Big Ten Conference uh, for them this year, most recently coming off a loss against Northwestern on the road in in, uh, Chicago. And then now they have an Illinois team that they have to go against on the road. Um, Any initial thoughts about what you think this game will play out like for the Rutgers Scarlet Knights on the road against Michigan State University? I can start. Um, I think this is another unlucky, unlucky game for Rutgers. And here's why. Here's why. If it depends on how it goes tonight uh, against Illinois for Michigan State, if Michigan State loses at Illinois, which honestly, I think they will. (laughs) I think they will. They will now be one and four in the Big Ten. And from what I remember from Tom Izzo, he's not lose, he he don't he don't lose two games in a row like that. Does, so three games in a row. If we're talking about Northwestern, Illinois. He he's telling those guys like he's a psycho. Tom Izzo is a psychopath. He's not he's not losing at home to Rutgers. Like that's his mentality. And he's going to let his point guard know. He's going to let his big man know. Like if you guys lose me this fucking game, I'm going to this and that. And like he is. He's going to freak the fuck out. So that's where I'm a little worried about the game. If they lose to Illinois, Michigan State, one and four in the Big Ten. Um, that's not who they are as a program. Culturally, they're not a losing program. Um, and then you, if you're Rutgers, you have to go into their home court when they're on a losing streak. Um, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Yes. Michigan State, most times in that in that situation, is not going to lose, lose that game. Um, so that's where I'm a little nervous just – just thinking about it in that type of standpoint. Yeah, I think you're totally right. Uh, one thing about the Iowa game for Rutgers, too, is that that was a really quick turnaround. That was like two and a half days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have a noon game. I'm sure you guys, you know, experienced it. But 11 a.m. local. Yeah, I mean, that's that's tough to get up for a game like that and to find your shooting rhythm that early. Uh, obviously, I was used yeah. to it. But um, I think, you know, Michigan State could be in the same regard. So, I think the key for Rutgers is, is being physical. If they can be physical from the opening tip, yeah. bring it defensively, and be on the glass, they can hang in the game. And if they can just keep it close, uh, I think they have a chance. But you're right. I mean, the mentality of Michigan State is going to have a lot to do with it. That's why I think Rutgers has to be ready to go from the opening tip because, again, they've been falling behind a lot, especially on the road. So, you know, you can't you can't fall back 19-5 uh, to 5 at Michigan State. Uh, you won't have a chance. So, uh, I'm sure Pico's going to be in their ear about never winning there before. Uh, so it, it certainly will be a telling in terms of this team's mentality. How much can they build off the Indiana game? And, and they will probably be going into a hornet's nest. So uh, it should be interesting. Yeah, definitely keeping eyes on the result against Illinois at State Farm Arena tonight. Despite the adversity that the Illini are dealing with with their star player being out, 
still finding ways to win. So we'll see if Michigan State can put together a tough, tough dub on the road uh, against Illinois. Um, and then lastly, um, I think as we start to, to kind of look ahead and, and conclude this uh, particular uh, episode, all 14 Big Ten teams um, rank in a top 50 in remaining strength of schedule. And our, in, in the Big Ten Conference, keeping it status quo, continuing to beat up on one another. Number one, Purdue going down recently against Nebraska. And I'm sure that's not going to be the last time uh, this season that there is a, a massive upset. Um, when you look at the next five games for Rutgers, they have, as we just talked about, Michigan State University, then Nebraska at home, Illinois, Purdue, uh, home against uh, Penn State, and then home against Michigan. What do you think are some of the realistic expectations on how many of those games they can win? Yeah, uh, I mean, you, you mentioned the schedule before. It's it's tough. I mean, they could they could they could start two and six, one and seven, and not necessarily be playing bad basketball. They're just playing really good teams right now. But I do think you know expanding on that, like I mean. February is very winnable. Like every game, I think they could win. It, obviously, that's you know a lot easier said than done, and you don't win every winnable game. But it's a lot different in terms of you know Maryland twice, Michigan twice, Penn State, Minnesota. Never easy, we know at Minnesota, but you know even Northwestern at home is manageable. Uh, it, it just gets a lot better after this four game clip coming up. So if they, I, I think that's where Pykele comes in, keeping the team together, keeping them believing, uh, keeping them fighting and playing hard. And if they can just stay together, uh, and if they could steal one or two, if they go two and two in this next four game stretch, I, I would feel really good about where this team's at. I think they could definitely still get 10, 11, possibly 12 Big Ten wins. If they go 0 and 4, you know, I'd, I'd be worried about their mentality. And I think that's where you have to have faith in Pykele. Uh, and the coaching staff in terms of keeping them together, because I do think they could get on a roll pretty quickly with the way the schedule looks. You know, I think January 31st on, it's uh, it's a lot more manageable. Yeah, yeah, uh, def definitely, definitely agree. Got to got to protect home court. Got to protect home court. And I'm looking at the schedule right now. You're right. February definitely is a lot easier than this than this little four game stretch they got coming up. But just how can you hang in there, hang tough? Like the Nebraska games, non-negotiable. You got to win that one. You got to protect home court. Purdue definitely want to try. Obviously, you're trying to win every game, but again, home court. You want to protect home court at all costs. And then that leads you into the February schedule, where you know you're at Michigan, you're at Maryland. These are some teams that are definitely beatable. Wisconsin, you got Wisconsin at home. It's a winnable game, and then that's when you start to feel a little bit better about yourself. But if you go 0 and 4 and you're not protecting home court against Nebraska. You know, then it's going to be tough to go on the road at Michigan and, and win that one. It, it just feels different. So, you know, you kind of feel like you're out of the race almost at that point. Um, and then it's it's more of a mental game. Love it. And it's currently January 11th, 2024. At this moment in time, what are your expectations for where this team could end up in the postseason? Well, I mean, I, I think obviously a winning record. You know, you want to see him get a winning record. I, I would say – Anything less than eight and twelve in the Big Ten, which put them, uh, you know, eight and twelve gets them a sixteen and fifteen going to the Big Ten tournament. That's where I, I, I hope that's the floor. You know, uh, it's not going to be easy, but uh, I think if that's the if that's where they end up, I, I think you know it's it's um, it, you can't be every year is going to be a little different. I think they've had some challenges against them, so I think you would feel good about this team going to the postseason and, and possibly make the NIT from that. They make a little run in the Big Ten tournament. Anything less than that, 
you know, it, you worry about just their mentality at the end of the season and, and, and in the Big Ten tournament. And you'd hate to see them miss the postseason altogether. Um, I don't think that that has any indication on the, the long-term future of the program. But just for the guys on this team, uh, you, you want to see them succeed. And like we were saying, they're going through a lot of adversity right now. They probably have some more ahead. If they can kind of come out on the other side in February and really start to click and, and keep guys in the lineup, um, you know, I think they can do that. I think they can still make the postseason. Uh, NCAA tournament obviously is a big climb right now, but um, I think ruling them out also, we no, no one taught us better than, than Gio and Ron and uh, those guys two years ago. You can't count this program out, and uh, it's only jo- January 11th, like you said, and that's college basketball. That's, that's, that's what the beautiful part of it is. Uh, and why it's so much better than college football, in my opinion, is the parity. And uh, the Big Ten is wide open. So why can't Rutgers make a, a run in February with that schedule and, 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 and end up dancing after all? It's, it's obviously an uphill battle, but I, I don't think it's impossible. Love that. Uh, and Gia, last one for you. I was interested to, to ping this off for you. It's a, also a really good year for the Big Ten in, in regards to overall personalities. You got Caitlin Clark coming in like one of the Beatles at Jersey Mike's Arena and completely selling yeah. it out. You got Tomonaga coming through to Jersey Mike's Ooh. Arena. I'm hearing the Japanese Steph Curry. You keeping up with these players in both women's, men's and women's basketball? Yeah, Kaylin came in, got a triple-double. I mean, that was crazy. It's crazy. It's just it's really cool to see her selling out every arena that she goes to. I mean, that's crazy. just – that's that's really cool to see. I mean, her the way she plays is just honestly insane. The way basketball has evolved is – it's crazy. I mean, and, and you know this, Austin and and Aaron. You may know this. Well, I do basketball training, so I got all the 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 young girls that I'm doing training for. They all asking me like if I can introduce them to Caitlin. I'm like, I don't I don't know Caitlin like that. Like I can't I can't help you with that. Like they they, they think that I'm some like some superstar that has the end with her. I'm like I'm like listen. I don't I don't know her like that. Um, so that it was cool. It's just cool to see like the younger kids too looking looking up to her, and it, it wasn't just the girls too. It was the, the boys that that wanted to go see her play, and you know that's like that's really cool for me to um, you know just to see these young kids looking up to her and the way she's playing. And then Tomonaga, um, he's a good player, man. He's a good player. You know, it's funny. I really I really didn't think he was that good when we were playing against him the first time uh, when I was in school because uh, we we just we isolated him on the post whenever he was in the game so i think he was guarding caleb mcconnell at the time and we just ran like three post-up plays in a row and he either fouled or or got scored on and they just sat him on the bench they literally couldn't keep him in the game i think right now they, they do a good job of hiding him on defense and he's got and he's again going back to experience now he's played in in, in big 10 you know he's starting to learn a couple of different tricks that he can do um but offensively, he's he's always been a killer, uh, and, and you know, Coach Michael and the staff they they told us that in, in scout when I was playing. Um, but man, the way he plays too. I mean, again, going back to basketball, just evolving. It's 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 really cool to see where some of these guys are pulling up from, and and, and girls are pulling up from, and they just have no fear when they shoot. Yeah, my arc and my range was as far as the horseshoe in the middle of the paint. So I wasn't pulling any trays or three-pointers back in my college career. It is what it is. So I really enjoy seeing what the game has involved, evolved into. But big-time episode, Aaron. Really appreciate you joining us and your insight. You do a phenomenal job, analytically inclined, as we had joked about before. So looking forward to having you back on uh, the pod as we move forward in the future. Anything else you know, on your side before we depart? No, I appreciate you guys having me on. It was uh, great to talk Rutgers hoops. And, uh, 
yeah, I just, you know, for longtime fans, we've been through a lot with this program and uh, it just social media obviously is, you know, uh, so prominent now and you hear uh, voices, you know, get really negative and stuff. But for fans that have been around a long time, I mean, if this team is so likable and uh, you know, just because there's a little bit of adversity right now, it just, uh, I, I, I hope I expect that fans stick with it. And uh, you know, next year it could be really exciting, but I still think that this year could too. And um, you know, the work that you guys are doing and everybody in the Rutgers media space, I feel like, you know, it, it, there's more attention on this program than ever before, which is a good thing. And um, people care more than ever. So I think even when you see negative attitudes, sometimes it's it's better than indifference that this program had. And Austin, you know, I, I know you saw some of that also, like after your career, and the way it was before Gio got here and, and to see it now, you know, live through as much as I have with this program, uh, even even when, you know, this season is a little bit not what the way we hoped. Uh, I think there's still hope for this season in the long run. And, and I hope people don't get discouraged and, uh, you know, just have long-term belief in, in this coaching staff and Pykele and what he's done. Because if you look at where everything was before he got here and where we are now, I mean, this is, uh, this is not, uh, this is not a terrible times that people want to try to make it out that it is. Um, it's, it's, we're, we're in a much better place. And I think, uh, you know, sometimes the adversity is only going to make this program and this uh, coaching staff and this team better. Yeah, we'll, we'll have another episode on uh, the Freddie Hill and Mike Rice era at some point. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll bring the whiskey for that I was going to say, one. we're going to have to drink for that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth. Oh, awesome stuff, my guy. I appreciate the time and I appreciate everybody listening and, and tuning in for this episode of the Are You Listening podcast. Uh, we'll see how everything plays out and, and we'll check you on the next episode.